This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media businesses matters for people who love media. I'm Amanda Lotz. And I'm Alex Zintner. In this episode, we're excited to set up our next big interview series. And in this series, we're going to talk about local media. This is just going to be me and Amanda in the studio talking about kind of our preconceptions and our initial ideas around local media. So why were you interested in focusing on local media? Well, particularly, right, we're focusing on the business of local media, largely because it's been a blind spot in most of our conversations. When we've talked about the business of media for the most part, we're talking about national, if not increasingly global media entities. Netflix is frequently a topic of our discussion. We're talking about uh, film studios that have national, if not international, distribution. When we do talk about journalism, it has tended to be sites like the New York Times. All of the conversations that we've had about how internet distribution and digitization are changing media businesses matters in a different way to local media, and it was time to try to focus on that particular situation. For me, this is such an interesting topic because it's a topic that's been in the news. And as we've been reading stories about doom and gloom around smaller newspapers and how smaller newspapers are dying, it's become increasingly clear to me that a deep dive on local journalism could teach our listeners a lot about what challenges exactly these businesses are facing and how they could maybe try to dig themselves out of the hole. Local media often aren't what people think of when there's a discourse about the media. People aren't thinking, oh, my local newspaper or the newscast that I watch at 11 o'clock every night that reports on my community. These media are actually very important to everyday life, often in a way that's you know different or at least distinctive from the national and international entertainment media that we often talk about. But they're particularly challenged in this era because internet distribution, which is really this thing, as we've talked about, that has been changing the nature of all of these other media industries, the reason that internet distribution has been such a force of phenomenal change is because of the way that it has allowed the connection of audiences across geographic spaces. The issue with local media, however, is that there are no great economies of scale achieved via internet distribution. While in many cases we talk about new opportunities delivered by the distribution technologies of the current era, uh, local media not so much benefiting. And so I think much of what you're talking about in terms of some of the recent attention to local journalism specifically, these have been uh, sort of these reports out of of experiments and uh, new ways of of really reconceiving local news uh, out of really the um, increasing abyss of those former businesses. Well, I think one thing to keep in mind here is that local media, as we think of it, has always relied on linear listening or print subscriptions, which are both areas that are declining substantially in the internet age. To talk about your point there, I think the challenges of internet distribution is going to be something that's central to this series and to the conversations that we're going to be having, especially as we look at how local organizations, and we're really especially talking about local news here, how they're looking to either replicate the success of national publications in the smaller market, or they're looking at new ways to kind of use social media and use 
the internet to reach that community of people that they've often reached in the past just over the air in print. So we should probably start by laying out what, you know, for our terms, kind of qualifies as local media. And, and I think what I'm thinking about here is really something that tends to be community-specific. And some of the different interviewees that we're pulling in on the series may define it differently. Uh, but importantly, we're intending to move across different, you know, sort of traditional media silos to include local newspapers, as well as TV stations uh, and, and radio stations as well. Yeah, when we talked to Laura Walker of WNYC, we were talking to a local news entity. Now, granted, we didn't have a huge amount of time with her, so we didn't get to go in and really delve as deeply as we will in this series. But think of that as the groundwork for kind of what we're looking at. A radio station that's New York-based, that's reporting on things important to the New York area as well as WNYC is one of those larger entities like the New York Times that does have a decent national presence, too. Right, and so I kind of actually push back from that comparison. I think we, and for this series, need to, to not think so much about the large metropolitan areas simply because the scale that they have available. And so while, yes, technically the New York Times is uh, the paper of, of, of New York as a state, city yeah, and state, I mean, perhaps. It's the highest circulated paper in New York. Absolutely. Um, but it is the way that we understand it today and its strategies uh, going forward have everything to do about its national and international relevance as well. And to be honest, you know, having a national and international Readership, viewership, listenership is really just not an option for most local media entities. So this will lead into kind of our next point. One of the things that's really hurting these local entities, at least in one of my preconceptions, is the draining of resources. There's some specific stories that have really been uh, prominent in media news about how the effect of the draining of resources on newsrooms. We're talking about lost jobs. We're talking about beats that are no longer being covered. And I think one of the biggest fights that we've seen with this is one of the challenges of a national entity owning a paper is what's been happening with the Denver Post, which has been getting into a very large and very public fight with their owner, Digital First Media. The editorial page editor has resigned after the paper published really strong editorials against their owner, criticizing their owner and telling them that they are actively hurting the newsroom by cutting the jobs that they've had. Right. And I think, you know, there's a lot to pull apart in this question of of ownership. And historically, local media was locally owned. Mm -hmm. The phenomenon of that ending, though, um, certainly predates what has been perceived as the crisis caused by uh, digitization and internet distribution. So whether it's local television stations and radio stations or um, paper ownership, the phenomenon of consolidation is one that you know sort of swept through these industries and forced them to change um, before the challenges that were brought by uh, internet distribution and the way in which those forms of distribution stressed existing business models. And I think at that point is when we have to stop, you know, sort of trying to talk about local media and talk about media in specific ways, because uh, it's the case that local media for television is is thriving and is making great money, uh, where the challenges being felt by newspapers are quite different, uh, having everything to do there with the loss of advertising and particularly 
classifieds. Classifieds were not a big part of the New York Times ever, I don't think, uh, but you know, were really a central part of the revenue stream for local communities. And and you know, with the advent of Monster.com or Craigslist, you know, the the utility of a newspaper-based classified system, um, once that was gone, there was no replacing it. And, and frankly, in some of the analysis that's been done, you know, the part of the reason for the solvency of newspapers before that was exactly that revenue stream. So, you know, sort of just providing the news, as we, you know, sort of expect our, our newspapers to do, uh, that wasn't something that was financially feasible in an era before the internet, if you take away the classifieds. And that loss in advertising revenue is probably what led many local paper owners to sell. And now you have entities like Gannett, Advanced Media, Digital First Media taking on a much larger role across the country. That process of consolidation of Gannett, Knight Ritter, and some of the others you know, buying up newspapers, that's been going on for a while. And interestingly, you know, it even combined with uh, station ownership to a large degree. Um, however, in recent years, we've seen those two entities you know, largely splitting apart, sort of the recognition that, in fact, it, it wasn't a business, a, a good business move to consolidate uh, a newspaper and uh, television station ownerships. Yeah, so, the, the separation of Tribune and Trunk right. um, really is what jumps to mind. The focus of this series, we're probably going to be focusing almost exclusively on news and news organizations in this in this series? I suspect to a large extent, yes. Um, because when we think about local news, local media entities, just slipping right in there, what do papers do for the most part? They provide news and information about a community. They don't typically provide entertainment content for a local area. And if we look at television, even though stations are local and in theory the television business is locally based around these stations, the strength of the network system and the number of hours produced by networks or the number of hours that are then you know, filled with nationally syndicated content, if we look at the content that a local station is producing, it's almost entirely news-based content. So, so you're right. Um, I think the cases in which we might find uh, entertainment programming targeting a local community out there are probably pretty few and far between. And it's really in many ways the same way in radio. Uh, though you have local stations, for the most part, the content of those local stations, whether they're based on news, talk, or music, is nationally syndicated content as well, with little bits thrown in here and there. Think about your NPR morning newscast. Morning edition, it has both NPR national stories as well as local stories produced by that station. Sure, or even a, a music station will have, you know, maybe some top-of-the-morning headlines that are, are local, but most of the, there are very few places that have, let's say, a radio station that's focused on playing music specifically of the community. Uh, maybe it's a radio show, you know, maybe it's one show a week or something like that that focuses on local artists, but that would be about the most that you'd expect. One angle to this, which is a, is really stretching the notion of localism into entertainment, and I don't know that we'll get there with the series, is, though, to think about uh, localism in relation to a service such as Netflix. And so in an era in which you have effectively a global television network, what does local mean in that context? And it, it really just means national, probably, um, and it means not U.S. content. And so I think there... So local doesn't mean local. 
Well, or, or, or what is the scale of local, I guess? So if we're talking about a practice of you know, sort of distributing content produced in one country internationally, uh, the idea of local production in that context would be, you know, dramas developed in countries that are not the United States as well. So what are we thinking about starting out in this series? Well, the Knight Foundation recently released a report called Local TV News and the New Media Landscape, and that was one of the things that got me thinking about this topic, as well as really what's been a flurry of articles on Neiman reports that have been looking at the different local news experiments that have now been in practice for a year or two, and and sort of the sense that um, we're sort of past the throwing the spaghetti at the wall stage, and maybe at least now we're... we're Some of it's starting to stick. Or something's happening, right? (laughs) And so that it just seemed the right time to recognize that uh, some new knowledge and information was out there. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this series for a while now, (laughs) and I'm glad that we're kind of buckling down and saying, all right, summer 2018, let's tackle this. And so one of the things that the Knight Foundation report found was what we've sort of already alluded to, which is the differences that exist in different local media businesses. Local TV news, for example, has not really been disrupted significantly at all. It's still very profitable. There are 703 local newsrooms, just to give you a sense around the country. And it's still the case that more than 50% of station income is coming from news. So the advertising during news, that that local product, um, is very important. The other thing that doesn't give me much solace about the news that local TV news is doing okay is that from an information perspective, local TV news is just terrible. Uh, You know, it's rare that I, I think have such a strong and straightforwardly put opinion about content. But it's at least rare that you stated on this podcast. <laughs> and it's the conversation behind the scenes. <laughs> but I, 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 I take no consolation uh, in knowing that the kind of content that is attracting audiences to local newscasts is, is still delivering audiences. Um, it doesn't make me feel that uh, local... Issues are being covered in a substantive way, um, and frankly, on some level, it's frightening, uh, especially in the absence of local newspapers uh, that have traditionally focused more on what we might call news um, to counterbalance them. I'm thinking about the uh, John Ol- the last week tonight with John Oliver segment um, coming up next on the CBS News at 11. So they take a bunch of WCBS news promos that get increasingly ridiculous and shove them together in a montage. And oh boy, if that doesn't sum up local news in a nutshell, I don't know what does. Precisely. I mean, actually, there's many moments of John Oliver that come to mind in this discussion, <laughs> right? Um, many, and then there's this episode that sort of show the banality of what passes as local news around the country. Um, but also, I recall his specific focus on local journalism. Um, and in that episode, he had coverage of uh, David Simon testifying at some point, sort of talking about the way in which we are in an era that there aren't local journalists that are showing up at the state house that are covering the zoning board meeting, those sorts of things, where actually, you know, just having someone who is 
representing the public uh, in those rooms affects the way that power operates and sort of the impunity that elected officials and unelected officials feel that they can operate with. I think he had a quote to the extent of really this is, you know, we're on the verge of a golden age of corruption. And, you know, indeed, I worry that that is the case. David Simon being the creator of The Wire, The Deuce, Treme, and a former reporter at the Baltimore Sun himself. Right. He, he is a very vocal Twitter presence about local news and local journalism. And I believe he's even, especially when it comes to local TV ownership, and I think we're specifically thinking of Sinclair Media here. Well, I think if we're talking about what are changes in the landscape of local television news, uh, I think Sinclair is definitely a place to look. If the proposed merger goes through, they will become the largest station ownership group in the country. Uh, and, you know, a practice as we, I think we have discussed here, the the practice that they have of basically pushing out packages at a national level to every affiliate or the must-runs of sending out scripts and making every affiliate read the same piece of content. That is exactly contrary to a notion of local news. Right, and I don't know if we've talked about it in this way, but Sinclair is conservative. So what they are pushing out are conservative viewpoints and conservative news packages. And, and yes, that's true, but that's not even the point, in my opinion. I don't care if it's okay. liberal or conservative. The point of local media is that it's local. Right. The point of station ownership I rules, see. as they have existed, has been to have a diversity of voices. Um, and when you have one giant conglomerate basically taking local stations and turning them into a national mouthpiece that is just so contrary to the foundations of the structure of our broadcasting system. And and maybe that's an antiquated system, but we need a full-scale regulatory overhaul that takes everything into account as opposed to letting, you know, the system fall apart by a series of uh, corporate moves, which is really what uh, Sinclair is. But newspapers are struggling in the way that local TV just isn't. And we talked about their losses in revenue stream, but there's a little bit more to it here. Right. There's a nice quote from Ken Doctor, who does a lot of the economic analysis that's published in, in the Neiman Reports, you know, sort of talking about what has happened to the local papers and sort of how they arrived at this point. Yes, first there was the loss of the, that classified revenue, um, and then what happened pretty steadily was that as a result of the loss of that revenue, that's that papers started offering less content, uh, their print product got smaller, they had inferior mobile products, uh, and then they started increasing the price of that reduced and lesser content. Um, and sort of all of that has been this giant spiral. Um, so exactly in that moment in which you know the worst thing that they could do was cut back on their product and the value proposition that they were offering um, in order to ask their consumers to be paying more for their product, um, they were offering less. And that only hurried the subscription losses, which then were magnified in having a smaller audience base to sell to advertisers. So it's it's really been a disaster. It kind of sounds like the perfect storm of just the, the spiral. Like You can see one consequence leading to another, leading to another, leading to another, and kind of a circle. Right. And so by his figures, most local papers would need to boost subscri- subscriber revenue, whether it's in the form of subscription or what you're paying you know, per, per paper, um, from a current level of 35% of revenue to 60 to 70% just to be solvent. 
Uh, and I think the other really stunning figure that I saw in the comparison of the different local media is that there's been a 46.1% uh, loss of total newsroom employees in the last decade. So basically, um, we're going to 2008, which was the height of the recession. And so, you know, also sort of keeping in mind that things weren't awesome leading into 2008. Whereas local TV news has, you know, held steady and had minor increases. And so like, the fact that there just simply are not the bodies of journalists doing the work that the bodies of journalists have traditionally done is, is, is a rough position for local papers to be in. And what that does is it really just hurts the news organizations. I mean, every time I see stories of layoffs at a local news organization, I get sad because... That's probably going to be one of the biggest tragedies that we talk about in this series. Assuming it is a tragedy, maybe we'll be corrected over the course of the run of this series, but the tragedy of staff reduction at newspapers is just... It, it really is kind of leading into the decline of local journalism. And I mean, it's a part of that spiral that we talked about. Um, fewer subscribers means less money to pay the journalists themselves. Right, and and again, you know, this is a story that's played out everywhere in the country, but it played out very clearly just in my time here in Ann Arbor as well. You know, I, I don't subscribe to the local paper anymore because there was just nothing left in it. Um, I, I didn't really need that much coverage of sports, and I didn't need that much international or, or national AP wire. Uh, so as the content that I was actually reading the paper for disappeared, you know, I, like many others, disappeared as a paying subscriber. At least the Michigan Daily is free. At least the Michigan Daily is free, and it might be the richest source of local news here in Ann Arbor. I've been seeing some tweets and some posts. I, I was reading um, Rebecca Blumenstein um, had some quotes talking about how college journalists might be the future of local reporting because college newspapers operate on completely different mm -hmm. business models. Right. And that means that they're a bit freer to have these large staffs. Like, I think the Michigan Daily staff is somewhere around 150 to 200 journalists. Well, of course. And, and on some level, you know, most of that staff is unpaid. Michigan Daily pays. It just pays such nominal amounts right. that it barely buys a beer. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, that that's not something that one could make a career doing. But precisely to your point, and I think that's one of the things I hope we discover, is really the new models for... It is clear that there is, is no context in which a new business model is more crucial than when it comes to local news. And so hopefully we will... Find those who can help us see the way forward rather than uh, forcing us to continue our despair. Local radio is also going to be a big subject, and it's a little bit trickier to get into. Yeah, I mean, just you know, to set the, the field of starting out, you know, radio has remained remarkably steady. It's not really up. It's not really down. It just persists. Um, you know, in many ways, I think... That makes sense to me, along with the continued stability of local TV news, you know, to what degree people, you know, are tuning in to listen for local coverage. I'm not sure so much as, you know, these are part of daily routines. You get up in the morning, you're getting ready for work, you have on the local news, uh, or you're driving to work, you have on local radio. You have radio. the radio on in your right, car. Right, yeah. right. So perhaps they've been insulated a bit as a result, um, but... As we also acknowledged, these are in many cases not entities that are doing a lot of actual local content development. Although, again, you know, tying this to somewhere, I think this idea or one of the things that's been impressive to me is the role of Michigan Radio in actually 
being a, a newsbreaker in a region that um, has lost so many other uh, news presences. A uh, shout out here to Kate Wells and her coverage of the Larry Nasser trial. That is a great example of local media sending a reporter to cover a local story. I mean, Larry Nasser was tried in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And really just going in with that amount of depth. And the Flint water crisis before that, you know, it was yeah. largely the coverage by Michigan Radio that got that on the national agenda that was necessary for the kind of action that ultimately came to be. Although something you have un- noted here, um, online competitors aren't much of a threat. Yeah, that's what the report found. What was interesting to me is that they were able to do a little bit of analysis to show that the relative competition between newspaper and television varies by market size. And here we're talking about the web presence of a local newspaper or the Mm -hmm. web presence of of a local television outlet. So in large markets, and markets are kind of regions, like so here in Ann Arbor, we're technically in in the Detroit um, market, uh, their television classifications. Of the 22 markets initially analyzed that included New York City, Washington, with its three national newspapers, newspaper websites came out on top in 14 of the markets, and television websites came out top in eight. So in big places, newspaper sites are more important than television station sites. However, of the 37 smaller markets that were analyzed, television websites came out top in 23 of the markets, and newspapers in 13, um, and radio in one. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so I think what that that tells us a little bit about that dynamic, and I think what we were talking about earlier in the way in which you know papers like the New York Times, the Washington Post, you know that's just kind of not the phenomenon we're talking about. Um, those sites, I think, um, because of the scale of the revenue, they're able to really have a level of development and a role in their communities. But it was really interesting to me that in these mid-sized and smaller markets, that actually, if someone wants, you know, what's going on, their instinct is to go to the website of the local television station. And I think that has everything to do with the degree to which those local papers have been eroded and are gone. And I think something we can even get into with online later in this series is companies like Gothamist and the Texas Tribune, online exclusive local publications. Right. Uh, Another piece of data that they found in terms of of the way in which it's not the case at a local level that local online-only sources are are competitors, a survey conducted by a columnist in the LA Times in 2015 found that one of every four online news startups had failed. I, I think, you know, that has everything to do with, again, that question of economies of scale and the difficulty of pulling in either enough subscribers who are paying or deriving enough advertising and enough traffic uh, in order to support something that is, is somewhat bounded in its, in its audience scope. So what are we hoping to learn here? What are, let, let's lay out our goals for this series. Well, I think the main one you know, coming at it from the Media Business Matters perspective is really what other than economies of scale work? Do we just have to recognize that local is a different thing and maybe local now is a thing that needs subsidized in the way that we have traditionally thought of things like education or programming for children? Um, And who would provide those subsidies? I mean, are we looking at maybe the necessity for more um, benevolent billionaires like Jeff Bezos? 
well, coming in and buying these papers. Certainly, but those benefactors are not without consequence, and they bring their own agendas. And Depending so, on the benefactor. Right. I'm thinking of Sheldon Adelson buying the Las Vegas Journal Review Journal. Absolutely. Those kind of buyouts are an option in terms of, let's say, if we're really talking about uh, local news not being able to be a commercial product. I mean, at some point, they become philanthropies then. And, and you know, to some degree, we've seen that as well in, in these experiments is uh, really foundation funding doing quite a bit to support uh, the kind of investigative reporting as well that, um, you know, newspapers have lost the budgets for. In terms of what I'm looking for, I'm thinking about what experiments stick mm-hmm. and thinking about what news organizations can do to put themselves back on the map, whether that means selling digital subscriptions, opening up Facebook groups, some way to drive people to fund the journalism, and how can that money get there so maybe we can stop these cuts that are really killing these newsrooms. That's something we're going to be looking at in particular. (laughs) And I think if we can also think about these issues as not only uh, commentators, but as consumers, I think... As a media consumer, the thing that concerns me the most and sort of the feel, the thing I feel um, most impotent and unable to change is the array of, of local media options that I have. And, and I, I'm hungry for them. Um, and I want to support entities that are going to you know, play this role in my community, sort of helping guide people who are looking for ways to reconnect with journalism and local news in, in those sorts of ways, maybe we can help find those answers as well. And I think that's a great place to leave it off as kind of a groundwork for what our interviews are going to be. And I'm very excited to share the rest of this series. But now it's time to move on to the last segment of each and every show, what we're watching this week. Amanda, what are you watching? I have been watching Billions for, again, what seems like months. I I was behind, and so I've been working through season two, and I've now caught up in real time and awaiting the season three finale this week. And it's it's a show I enjoy quite a bit, I have to say. It's timely in its own way. I've been watching Billions on Showtime. How about you, Alex? What are you watching? I have not been able to shake the series finale of The Americans and uh, season six I'm of on The like Americans. Season two or, or I'm on episode two or three, so. It, it, that show is a remarkable bit of devastation, of tension, <laughs> and of beauty. Like, that show, the way that show ended is perfect for it. I mean, it had a series finale that I can't say anything more no. without spoiling yeah. any Amanda, but it it was just beautiful and how it attacked its stories and how and how it ended. Like it ended in a very American's way, which All right. I mean, and also there were some needle drops that were just pitch perfect. And there's one music cue in particular I'm thinking about where the music swells at exactly the right moment and it was just enough to just be like <gasps> Yeah, I've been wa- I've been wa- reading my Twitter feed with like one hand, like <laughs> trying not to uh, to be spoiled in any ways. But uh, we'll see if I, I managed that. But um, by all accounts, it sounds like people are happy with that conclusion. And that's it for this week's edition of Media Business Matters. If you want to learn more about Media Business Matters, you can go to amandalots.com and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. If you want new episodes delivered into your feed as soon as they're available. And we highly encourage this, given that we're about to embark on an interview series that I'm sure if you're listening to this, you'll want to listen to more of. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on the Google Play Store. 
If you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. It helps new listeners find the show. Amanda, where can we find you on Twitter? At Dr. TV Lots, D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z. And you can find me at Alex Intner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back with our first interview episode real soon.